Good morning and welcome. It is a rich blessing to be able to gather together to worship the Lord as God's people. A few, uh, a few announcements. Um, we're thankful for all of our guests and our visitors. Uh, next week, we anticipate celebrating the Lord's Supper. If you're a, uh, a visitor, whether a new visitor or a long-term visitor and, uh, and a member of a faithful church, and you would like to join us in partaking next week, we'd encourage you to speak with uh, myself or one of the elders uh, today, if possible, uh, so that we can uh, approve you and, and invite you to join. Um, also, Vacation Bible School, uh, there's an announcement on that. That's coming right up. So uh, please take note of that announcement, and please keep that in your prayers. Two announcements about today. Um, after worship this morning, uh, we're going to continue with the adult Sunday school class that we've had for a couple weeks. Um, that'll be in the sanctuary between worship and the, uh, the fellowship meal. So um, please consider joining in that. That's uh, regarding the impact of, of cell phones um, on both youth and adults. So uh, certainly something we should be thinking about. And then this evening after worship, uh, the Mingrinks are inviting all who are available to join them for a bonfire. Uh, you're welcome to bring some food to put on the grill, uh, to, you know, sides to share, or just show up to enjoy fellowship. We have a great privilege in worshiping together. But it's a privilege we can't truly enjoy apart from the leading and the care of the Lord. So let's ask for His blessing on this time as we join our hearts together in a moment of prayer. Father, we thank you for each one whom you have gathered together in this place today. You know our hearts. You know our longings. You know the distractions that afflict us and also the needs that confront us. Father, we pray that you would provide for each one of us. That we might turn our hearts completely unto you. That we might give you the worship that you deserve. And then that you might be glorified through us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. The Lord calls us to worship this morning with these words from Revelation 15. Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord, O Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. Congregation of our Lord Jesus, from where does your help come? Our help comes from the Lord, the Maker of heaven and earth. 
Hear now His greeting. To you who are called, beloved by God the Father and preserved through Jesus Christ, mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. Amen. Let's uh, sing praise together to the Lord from number 88. Number 88. As we're preparing to look at God's law, I wonder if I could ask a favor. Uh, Dakota, could you grab me one of the Forms and Prayers books? Thank you. Thank you. In Exodus 20, God recorded for us the words of His law. Now, why did he do that? Romans 2 tells us that the truth of this law is written in our conscience. Believer and unbeliever alike, Jew and Gentile, those within the church and those without, inherently know of our calling to love God and to serve Him with all that we are, to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. Why then do we need the law? spelled out for us in these Ten Commands. We need it in part because in our sin, we are skilled at silencing the voice of conscience. We are skilled at convincing ourselves that it's not true, that we can do with impunity, without any consequence, anything that, that the flesh desires. But we need it spelled out also, not just, not just to convict us, not just to remind us of the truth, that our conscience already knows. But also because of what it said at the start. He says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. These commands were given explicitly to those whom God delivered. As a calling that we devote ourselves to God. 
that we stop trying to convince our consciences that it's okay to rebel against God. That we acknowledge openly our calling to cast off the sinful flesh, the, the sinful impulses, and to take up the holiness of the Lord our God. And so to those whom God has delivered from their slavery, He says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and who keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you nor your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. We hear that law and we're reminded that we have failed. We have done that which God commanded us not to do. We have not done that which God has commanded us to do. As those whom God has called to Himself, to whom He has promised forgiveness through faith, that law should humble us. And it does. And so it leads us to confess our own unworthiness, but also our confidence in God to render us worthy in Christ. So let's make that, make that our confession as we sing together number 127. We'll sing stanza 1, 3, 4, and 5. 1, 3, 4, and 5 of 127 as our confession of faith.
as God's people confess their sin and their need, God assures us that He will give forgiveness. David confessed that in Psalm 32. Confessed that as long as he kept his guilt within himself, as long as he left it unconfessed, it festered. It afflicted him. But as soon as he confessed, there was forgiveness, there was life, there was hope. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. And then at the end of the psalm, he declares, Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous. And shout for joy, all you upright in heart. We should worship and celebrate the Lord for the forgiveness and the reconciliation He gives us. And one of the ways He shows us the forgiveness He has promised is through the Lord's Supper. Next week we uh, intend to celebrate the sacrament. As we prepare to do so, I'd like to read with you the uh, preparatory form that we find on page 44 in our book of forms and prayers. Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, since we hope next Lord's Day to celebrate the blessed sacrament of the Lord's Supper, we are called to prepare our hearts by rightly examining ourselves. For the Apostle Paul has written... Whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Therefore, you should examine your life, and considering your own sin and the wrath of God against it, be sure that you humble yourself in repentance before God. Examine your heart to be sure that you trust in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation, believing that your sins are forgiven wholly by grace because of our Lord's sacrifice on the cross. And finally, examine your conscience to be sure that you resolve to live in faith and obedience before your Lord and in love and peace with your neighbor. God will surely receive at the table of His Son all who truly repent of their sin believe in Jesus Christ as their Savior, and desire to do His will. All those, however, who do not repent, who do not put their trust in the Lord Jesus, and who have no desire to lead a godly life, are warned according to the command of God to keep themselves from the Holy Sacrament. If any one of us is living in disobedience to Christ and in enmity with his neighbor, he must repent of his sin and reconcile himself to his neighbor before he comes to the Lord's table. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. This solemn warning is not designed, however, 
to discourage penitent sinners from coming to the Lord to the Holy Sacrament. We do not come to the supper as though we were righteous in ourselves, but rather to testify that we are sinners and that we look to Jesus Christ for our salvation. Although we do not have perfect faith, do not serve and love God with all our hearts and do not love our neighbors as we ought, yet we are confident that our Savior accepts us at His table when we come with humble faith in sorrow for our sins and with a will to follow as He commands. And since it is necessary for us to come to the sacrament in good conscience, we urge any who lack this confidence to seek from the minister or any elder of this church such counsel as may quiet his conscience or lead to the conversion of his life. All then who are truly sorry for their sins, who sincerely believe in the Lord Jesus as their Savior and who earnestly desire to lead a godly life, ought to accept the invitation now given and come with gladness to the table of our Lord. Amen. Beloved, with that, let us ask for the Lord's help in preparing our hearts and also in all of the other needs of the congregation. Let's pray. Almighty God, you who have given us the gospel of Jesus Christ and have provided a most wonderful communion with him through the mystery of the sacrament, we need your grace to enable us to prepare our hearts for the reception of Holy Communion. To all who sincerely believe in your Son, and truly repent of their sins. Grant us assurance of your gracious readiness to receive and bless us in the supper of our Lord to all who have not yet repented and have not put their trust in the Lord Jesus. Grant a restraining fear of this supper, lest their condemnation be the greater. But we pray have mercy upon these and grant them grace to repent of their sins and to seek their salvation in your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. We confess, O oh Father, that we all have offended your majesty and deserved your judgment. We have transgressed in our thoughts, in our words, and in our deeds. Truly, there is no strength in us. But be merciful, O oh God, and grant us your pardon, and let us come to the sacrament in the joy of your forgiving love. And Father, we thank you for the ways in which you provide so perfectly for your people throughout life. You are the one who gives us health and strength. You are the one who surrounds us with loved ones. You are the one who gives us healing from our sickness and comfort in our grief. Father, we pray that you would continue to meet the needs of your people one and all. We ask your continued care upon those who are uh, sick, those who have various medical needs. We pray that you would provide the healing and the strength that they crave. Lord, you have been giving uh, such strength to Bruce and to Linda and giving them healing. We thank you for that and we ask for continued healing for them. Likewise for Dan and for Jamie who are receiving treatment for cancer. We pray that you would uh, grant them and Bruce, grant them healing from cancer and, and confidence day by day in your perfect care. We pray for members who have long-term pain and other ailments those who are unable to worship with us because of age or infirmity or distance from us, we pray that you would provide for each one of these according to your perfect care. For those who are expecting the birth of children, we ask for your provision and health and strength. 
For those who are preparing for marriage, we ask that you would uh, prepare them well for that day when they say, I do. For those, Lord, who um, are going through the process of fostering children or adopting, we ask that you would provide at each step of the way, both in the process and also in the emotions and the, the struggle that that process often brings. We pray for our members who have recently graduated from high school, from college. Lord, we thank You for these milestones. And, and we pray that You would bless each one of them to know that the, the learning that they have been given has come from Your fatherly hand. And that they might use this learning and this understanding in a way that that brings glory and honor to You. Father, we pray for our children as they're wrapping up, or most of them have wrapped up their school year. We ask that You would bless them in the work and the leisure and the play and, and the various joys that summer brings. We ask that You would refresh them and that You would continue to build them in new and different ways this summer. Uh, as they might, that they might come to see your perfect blessing in all of life. Father, we pray for our loved ones outside of this congregation. We pray for John's grandson, Barrett, who uh, underwent heart surgery this past Wednesday. We ask that you would provide healing and comfort for Barrett. We pray for Jane's sister, Caroline and the cancer that she has been dealing with, and Joby Lammers with the pancreatic cancer, uh, Linda's father, Daniel, with his health struggles. We ask that You would grant the healing and the strength and the encouragement that each of them need. And Lord, there are so many other needs that weigh upon our hearts. The spiritual and the emotional struggles with which some wrestle. The temptations that loom and that urge us to turn away from You and Your ways, the, the doubts that sometimes afflict, the struggles with friends and with family in our relationships, the stresses of work and finances, especially with our economy. Lord, You know what each one wrestles with. You know the stresses and the struggles but we know that You are faithful and that You are greater than anything that afflicts us, greater than anything that might challenge us. Father, we pray that You would enable us to see Your fatherly hand at work in our lives. Enable us to see that You are the great provider and that no need that might confront us is in any way, shape, or form a match for Your sovereign goodness. Enable us to trust You day by day and to grow as we go through these struggles and these hardships, to grow in our trust in You. Bless our office bearers as they gather for consistory and for the deacons meeting this week. Give them wisdom and strength that they might be united in their decisions and that their decisions might advance the good of Your church. And Father, we pray that in all that we do this day, as we rest from our labors, as we enjoy fellowship with the saints, 
as we meditate upon your word and look forward to the blessings that you have promised to provide. We ask that all that we do might bring glory to you and might knit us together more closely with you. Now we ask all of this, Lord. Oh, and Lord, we ask too for your blessing upon our young people who will be uh, serving with task starting next weekend. We pray that you would bless them with safe travel to Sanborn and that you would give them a good experience of serving in the name of Christ. Use that to draw them closer to you and to give them a passion for serving others in the name of the Savior. Now, Father, we ask all of this in the only sufficient name of Jesus, our Savior and our King. Amen. Well, beloved, as we prepare to look to God's Word together, let's stand and sing. We're going to sing number 238. This is a, a rendering of a, a small portion of Psalm 119, which reminds us that though we live in a world filled with struggles, we take up God's Word, and there we find good guidance. There we find the path to blessing. So number 238, Thy servant blessed by thee shall live. This morning we look to the truth of God's Word summarized in the Belgic Confession, Article 35. We began looking at that last week. Uh, we're going to look at the remainder of that today. But first, I'd like to read with you the uh, words of warning and encouragement in 1 Corinthians 11, starting at verse 17. Like much of 1 Corinthians, this passage addresses... Uh, 
a bit of dysfunction in the church in Corinth. Uh, things were not as they were supposed to be there. Um, and Paul is addressing that, leading them in the way that they ought to go. And in this section, uh, with regard to the Lord's Supper, starting in verse 17, he says, But in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part. For there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry and another gets drunk. What, do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it, and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But what but when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give you directions when I come. Amen. With that instruction, we look now at Article 35 of our Confession the start of which reminds us, as we saw last week, we believe and confess that our Savior Jesus Christ did ordain and institute the sacrament of the Holy Supper to nourish and support those whom he has already regenerated and incorporated into his family, which is the church. Looking then uh, toward the end of that article, we read further, Though the sacraments are connected with the thing signified, nonetheless, both are not received by all men. The ungodly indeed receives the sacrament to his condemnation, but he does not receive the truth of the sacrament. Even as Judas and Simon the sorcerer both indeed received the sacrament, but not Christ who was signified by it, of whom believers only are made partakers. Lastly, we receive this holy sacrament in the assembly of God's people with humility and reverence, keeping up among us a holy remembrance of the death of Christ our Savior with thanksgiving, making their confession of our faith and of the Christian religion. Therefore, no one ought to come to this table without having previously rightly examined himself, lest by eating of this bread and drinking of this cup he eat and drink judgment to himself. In a word, we are moved by the use of this holy sacrament to a fervent love toward God and our neighbor. Therefore, we reject all, ad, all mixtures and damnable inventions 
which men have added unto and blended with the sacraments as profanations of them. And we affirm that we ought to rest satisfied with the ordinance which Christ and his apostles have taught us, and that we must speak of them in the same manner as they have spoken. Amen. Beloved disciples of our Lord Jesus Christ, with regard to the Lord's Supper, there's a practice in which we engage which, frankly, is a bit offensive to some folks. It's the practice of fencing the Lord's table. When it comes to the celebration of the sacrament, there are three views concerning access to the Lord's table. Or, I should say, controlling access. One is, is called open communion. In those churches that practice open communion, they pretty much leave it up to each individual whether they will partake of the Lord's Supper. Seldom is any word of warning spoken. They simply leave it to the conscience of each individual whether they will partake. Other churches, kind of on the other end of the spectrum, practice what's called closed communion. In those churches, generally only the professing members, the mature members of that congregation are welcome to partake. Sometimes, with a written letter of attestation from their elders, they will permit members of other churches within their denomination to partake. But generally, it's only members of that church. So We have open communion on one end, closed communion on the other. What we practice is somewhere in the middle. It's called close communion. What that means is that we welcome and encouraged to partake all of our members who are mature, who've made profession of faith. And we also welcome and encourage to partake visitors having met with the elders and having testified to the elders or to the minister uh, that they believe concerning the Lord's Supper what we believe, that they are professing members in good standing of a faithful biblical church, right? So we welcome visitors, but, but we ask them first to meet with the elders or the minister of the church to attest to their, their biblical church membership, their understanding of the supper. And that's offensive to some folks. Because, because they tell us it's not your table, it's the Lord's. It's not your calling, it's not your right to restrict access to that table. And to put a man between the table of the Lord and those who would partake is filled with pride and hubris and sectarianism. They hate that idea. But what they forget, and, and I'll be honest, that was my initial response to the fencing of the Lord's table. When I... Uh, first encountered the practice, I grew up in a church that practiced open communion. When I first encountered the practice of close communion, I was deeply offended by it. But what I didn't understand was on the one hand, the weightiness of partaking of the Lord's Supper. The weightiness which Paul described in our reading from 1 Corinthians 11, in which God holds them guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord who partake lightly or without understanding. 
And at the same time, the role of the elders in shepherding God's people and in protecting them from their own sinfulness, from their own misappropriation of God's gifts. If we understand the calling of the elders to exercise the keys of the kingdom, and if we understand the weightiness of the sacrament, then we can see that this fencing of the Lord's table, it's not an act of pride, and it's not an act of sectarianism, it's an act of love. To uphold the holiness of the table, the holiness of the sacrament, but also to protect those who would come, and allow those who come to come well. And that's what this portion of our confession reminds us of. That the the Lord's Supper is not meant for everyone indiscriminately. But rather, the Lord receives at His table mature believers. And so that's our theme this morning. We confess that the Lord receives mature believers at His table. Now we saw last time, that the Lord's Supper does not nourish the soul of a person simply because he physically partakes. It's not that physical act of eating and drinking that causes us to receive the blessings of the sacrament. That's a faulty view of the sacraments which tripped up the church in the Middle Ages. They thought that simply by physically partaking of the bread and the wine, that would assure your spiritual blessing. That's not the case. Physically eating of the bread, drinking of the wine, that'll nourish your physical body, But something more is necessary to nourish the soul, right? And so the first thing we need to see is to recognize that what we do when we partake of the Lord's Supper is actually partake of two different kinds of meals. Each of us will partake of some spiritual result if we partake of the Lord's Supper. But which meal depends on the way in which we partake. So our first point is that this is a table serving two meals. The first meal is a meal of nourishment and support. That's what's received by those who partake who are regenerated. These are the folks who, to whom God has given His Spirit. By His power, their eyes have been opened to the word of life. Their ears have been enabled to hear the truth of the gospel. God has given them faith, uniting them to Himself by means of faith. For those of whom this is true, this meal is able to bring true nourishment. It nourishes their faith. As they see the bread broken, they're reminded of what Christ did for the sake of their salvation. As they hold and touch and partake of those elements, they're given assurance of how real, how true that forgiveness is. Their faith is strengthened. Also their hope. They see how the body of Christ was broken, the blood was poured out, they're reminded that Jesus really and truly died, meaning that temptation and sin have no more power over Him. And likewise for us who are united to Him as we are united to the bread, we can be assured that sin has no power over us. We're no longer enslaved to it because in Christ we have died. Right? And then we partake of the bread and of the wine. And we're reminded that just as that feeds our life, so Christ was given new life, was raised from the dead, right? And we being joined to Him, we have been raised from death. We have that new life. We have that power to live for God. 
And so we're nourished and strengthened not only in our faith, but in our hope. And when we see the price that that Jesus was willing to pay for us, allowing Himself to be broken, willingly giving His blood to be poured forth, we recognize the, the depth and the extent of His love for us and our love for Him is deepened and strengthened. So for believers who partake rightly, for for those who come with a mature faith in Christ, our faith is deepened, our hope is expanded, our love for the Lord is improved. But what of those who partake wrongly? What is received by the one who is not regenerate? One whose heart God has not yet transformed. One who knows nothing of the faith that would unite us to Christ. Or what is received by the one whose faith is weak or immature. He believes in Christ, but he lacks the maturity to to understand the Lord's Supper aright. Or he partakes while focusing not on Christ, but on himself. Or maybe he doesn't understand the significance of the Supper. My friends, those who thus partake either without faith or with an immature faith, they receive a far different meal. A meal of spiritual condemnation. The judgment they receive might come in a physical form. That's what we heard Paul explaining to the church in Corinth. He said that some of you are weak and sick. Some have even died. Sometimes God repays the pride of man who takes lightly that which is holy in God's sight in a very real and physical manner. It's a way of disciplining them, a way of of showing them that God is holy and He will not be taken lightly by those who yet hate Him. Others will not receive it physical condemnation, but still spiritually they will need to answer for what they have done in taking lightly the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. Judas partook with the other disciples of the first Lord's Supper. He didn't get sick. He didn't immediately find himself struck dead. But very soon thereafter, he was standing before the judgment throne. And do not think that God overlooked the fact that Judas partook of that bread and that wine with such a lack of faith, with such a scorn, that he was able to then get up from that table and go and agree with the chief priests and the scribes to betray Christ unto death. Surely, that demonstrated the depth and the hardness of the sin of his heart. And he had to answer for that. Even so, those who partake with unbelief or those who partake lightly will have to answer to the Lord for how they could partake lightly of that sacrament that demonstrates the greatest love that man has ever known. The most significant sacrifice that has ever been offered. And you see, we don't want... We don't desire any to partake of that kind of condemnation. To live apart from God is death. To embrace the absence of all that is good. 
and to willingly offend God. To treat as common a meal that He has sanctified as a means of demonstrating the, sacrament of, or the sacrifice of Christ. To consume thoughtlessly the bread given to represent His body. To drink without reverence the wine that represents His poured out blood. To do that is to invite God to pour forth His judgment on us. And this we want no one to experience. That's why our elders insist that visitors meet with them and attest to them their biblical church membership, their understanding of the sacrament. This is why we don't do as some churches do and give it to our little children who have no real understanding of what they're doing, who might unwittingly partake of of judgment rather than of nourishment. It's because that we love you and we don't, we don't want you to partake of condemnation. So we need to understand this table can serve two different meals at the self-same time. A meal of nourishment and spiritual support for those who receive it by an understanding and mature faith, but also a meal of condemnation for those who partake without faith or without understanding. However... The knowledge that this table serves two different meals should not frighten us into abstaining. Instead, it should simply cause us to approach the table carefully, drawing near with understanding, partaking eagerly, but also soberly. And so our second point, this is a table requiring careful preparation. Now here's the question. What should our preparation for partaking of the Lord's Supper look like? Well, our Confession gives us some insight into that. First of all, it points out we receive this holy sacrament in the assembly of God's people with humility and with reverence. Not recognizing this, the calling to partake with humility and reverence among God's people, was part of what Paul was admonishing in 1 Corinthians 11. We heard him say, when you come together, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it. Now that situation should never develop, that there are divisions within the body of Christ. That's part of what he means when he says later on, let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the body. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. Part of what that means is that we must discern that this congregation is the body of Christ and we are part of it. The body must not have factions. The body must not have divisions. The body must not be split. And so as we partake, or we prepare to partake of the Lord's Supper, we need to ask, what is, what is my place in this body? Have I caused, have I been part of some division within the body? If so, then I need to address that. Luke 17 verse 3 says, If your brother has sinned against you, go. Tell him his sin between the two of you. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you again, and he repents and says, Forgive me, you need to forgive him. And if he does that seven times in one day. You see, we're, we're to be quick to forgive, but not without knowledge, not without understanding. We have to seek it's not just, oh, I forgive him, it's fine. No, we, we need to seek reconciliation so that that division doesn't persist. 
And if you know that someone has something against you, Matthew 5, Jesus says, you're, you're coming to offer your gift before the altar. That's what we do when we worship. He says, you know that your brother has something against you. Stop. Leave your gift. Go and be reconciled to your brother. And then come and offer that worship. Right? So whether we're the one offended, or we are the one who has offended, we're to seek reconciliation. We're to seek to heal that wound in the body of Christ. Now, sometimes that doesn't work, right? Sometimes they won't repent or they won't forgive. But our calling is the calling of Romans 12, verse 18. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. I'm not responsible for how my brother or how my sister in the Lord responds when I confront them about that offense. I am responsible for doing so in a loving and gentle manner, seeking to heal the wound in the body of Christ. So this, first of all, we need to, we need to seek to ensure the unity, our role in the unity of, God, of the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 10 says, Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. That's one of the beautiful lessons of the Lord's Supper. I partake, and you partake, and you partake of bread from the same loaf. Demonstrating to us that we are all part of the one Christ. We are all joined to Him. We are all indwelt by the one Holy Spirit. We are all one. How can we do that if we come to the table fractured and divided? We can't. And so we must each do our part in ensuring that the body is united. Right? Along with this, our confession says, we come keeping up among us a holy remembrance of the death of Christ our Savior with thanksgiving. This is the other meaning of verse 29's admonition to discern the body. We come intentionally recalling how our Savior sacrificed Himself for our sake. When we see the bread broken, we need to be thinking about how Jesus allowed Himself to be whipped and beaten and mistreated and hung on the cross and broken. When we see the wine poured out, our mind needs to go to how His blood stained that wood, stained that ground, was poured out because of our sin. In other words, we need to understand what the sacrament is showing us. And we need to understand it well. As you receive the bread, you need to remember that, that Jesus Himself is saying, this is my body. As we take up that wine, we need to hear the voice of Christ saying, this is my blood of the covenant, poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. We need to come, in other words, with understanding of what the sacrament shows us, what it says to us. With thanksgiving. So often we partake with a... And we should be serious, right? So often we just seem somber. Oh, like we're at a funeral. But we're not. Because He also rose again. And this sacrament demonstrates to us that He went through all of that. And then rose again 
so that we could have life, so that we could have reconciliation, so that we could have eternity in the presence of God at peace. What a glorious thing that is. So we should partake with solemnness, yes, but with solemn joy. Understanding the significance of what He has done. Making there our confession of faith and of the Christian religion, says our, uh, our confession. Well does our form for the preparation for the Lord's Supper urge us to come, not just remembering what the Lord's Supper shows us, but remembering how we are to approach. Examine yourself. Am I truly repenting of my sin? Do I understand that I'm sinful? That I'm not right before God on the basis of what I have done? Do I recognize that I need what He did? That first of all. And then having considered our sin, our salvation. Do I truly trust in Jesus and in Him alone? Am I trusting in any measure, in anything else for my salvation? If I am, I have to cast that off. I have to cast myself wholly and entirely at the foot of the cross, trusting in Jesus alone. And having considered my sin and my salvation in Christ, I need to resolve anew to serve Him. Am I devoting myself to serving Christ? Am I devoting myself to living for Him? It's not hard. Sin, salvation, service. That's, that's the, the model for our self-evaluation. That's something we need to do that we might come with a true understanding, with a true confession. It's well that, that we always confess the Lord's or the, the Apostles' Creed as we come to the table of the Lord. Because we're confessing this is what Jesus accomplished. We, poor sinners, couldn't accomplish anything. But Jesus came as one of us to save us. Jesus came to regenerate us, to renew us, to impart faith to us, to reconcile us to God as His sons and daughters, to give us the assurance of eternal life, even, even to ensure the renewal of the creation about us. He did it all. And when we come to the Lord's table, we are reminded of all that. We are assured of all that. So we must come having prepared to remember all of that. Only when we, when we prepare ourselves, ensuring that we're doing our part to unify the body, remembering what the Lord's Supper says to us, what it demonstrates to us, Evaluating our hearts concerning our sin, our salvation, and our resolve to serve. Only when we thus come will we be nourished. But when we thus prepare, we will be nourished. We will be strengthened. We will be drawn closer to the Lord. Thing is, that preparation isn't something that just everyone can do. If you're not a believer in Christ... You can't make that kind of preparation. But don't use that as an excuse. Use that as an opportunity to recognize the reality of your sin, to recognize your need for Christ, to fall to your knees before Him. Use that as an opportunity to give yourself wholeheartedly and without reserve to the Lord who gave Himself for all of His people. 
And you who are young, you who are immature, it's the reason that we don't serve the sacrament to our children is because when we're immature, we can't adequately evaluate ourselves. We can't adequately prepare. But that doesn't mean that you can just tune out when the Lord's Supper comes. No, you should begin preparing even now. You also should prepare for the Lord's Supper in in preparation for that day when you're welcome. And when we're partaking, look well on that table. Look at the bread being broken, the wine being poured out. Just because you're immature doesn't mean it's not for you. Just because you're not physically eating of the bread and drinking of the wine doesn't mean that you shouldn't trust the one whom it signifies. That you shouldn't put your faith in Christ. No, you should. And when you gain that maturity, when you when you're able to examine yourself, then you need to talk to your parents about that. You need to talk to the elders about that. You need to be eager to come. Because as we see in our final, final point, this is a table that, that satisfies true, true disciples. It, it brings us that which we truly need. Now the conclusion to Article 35 is aimed mainly at rejecting corruptions. We reject all admixtures and damnable inventions which men have added to and blended with the sacraments. And we might be thinking, well, is that something we really need to worry about today? Well, it is. From the very start, men have been tempted to try to improve upon what God has given. I mean, what is the proliferation of pictures purporting to demonstrate Christ that we find in so many Sunday school curricula and in so many sanctuaries where God's people worship? But an attempt to improve upon the Lord's Supper, which is one of the only two images that God has given us of His Son. But they're images. Those are images which get right at the very heart and soul of who Jesus is and what He came to do. They get right at the heart and soul of the promise that the Lord has given to us. We can't improve on those pictures, and yet we keep trying, don't we? And people do it with the Lord's Supper as well. Well, you know, if it's, if it's good for uniting the church in worship, well... Well, maybe it would be good in our Bible study group. We'll partake of the Lord's Supper there to unify. The... No, that's not where God has intended it to be. I've even heard of youth groups partaking of the Lord's Supper on you know, a, a weekend getaway using grape juice and rich crackers. Ridiculous. It's a, an invention of man, a, a mixture with the things of the world. And it can't bless us. The Lord's Supper is meant to bless us in this context and in this way. And when we receive it with understanding, when we receive it with a living faith, it gives us blessings that we can receive in no other way. And we need to remember that. As we witness and partake of this sacrament, God uses it to strengthen our faith in a way that nothing else can. We see that bread. It's simple bread. It's the kind of bread that sits on your table. It's straightforward wine. It's not even the top shelf stuff. But as we partake of that, we, we see the sacrifice that Christ has given for us. 
as we take it up, we feel how real His love for us is. How trustworthy His promises are. Our faith cannot not be strengthened by that. Our assurance cannot not be deepened by that. We are unified more closely, more wholeheartedly, both with Christ and with those to whom He has joined us. We are given a deeper recognition that we have nothing to fear whatsoever. If Jesus gave His own body and blood to nourish our souls, there is nothing that He will withhold from us for body or for soul in this life or the next that we truly need. And so we're drawn closer to Him. We're strengthened. We're built up. We're encouraged. We're taught to love Him in a way that nothing else can teach us. You see, this is a magnificent meal for those who partake with maturity. And God intends for us to rejoice in it. God intends for us to long for it. God intends for us to celebrate it. So let us do so. Don't. Brothers and sisters, don't let it devolve into just something we do. Oh, yeah, it's that time again, I guess. No. Rejoice in it. Celebrate it. Love it. You young people long for the day when you can partake of it. And as soon as you really believe you have that maturity, talk to your parents about that. Do you think I'm mature enough? Talk to your elders. At what point should I come? Don't make the decision alone. Show the maturity of seeking the wisdom of a multitude of counselors. But then when you have that maturity, come with eagerness, come with longing. Don't, don't hold off because you're just afraid of those scary men that you've got to meet with. They're not scary. They love you. They long for you to show that maturity. And you visitors, you who aren't yet members here, or who are just in town for a time, if you're a member of a faithful church, and you understand what the sacrament signifies, don't think it's not for you. It is. Come and speak with one of the elders. Speak with me, but join us with joy, with celebration, with eagerness. Because this sacrament demonstrates to us, builds us up in the greatest gift that has ever been given to us. When we celebrate the sacrament next week, we can be confident. The Lord receives at His table mature believers. Therefore, let us who are mature believers come with reverence and humility, with understanding, with thanksgiving, with joy, knowing that the Lord will receive us, that the Lord will feed us, that the Lord will build us up through Christ whom He portrays in this sacrament. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we do need what you provide through the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. We pray that you would enable us to, to prepare a right to partake of it. We pray that you would work in our hearts to enable us to see if, if we need to Take action 
to bring about a unifying of the body. That You would help us to evaluate ourselves aright concerning our sin and our salvation and our need to serve Christ in response and, and enable us, Lord, to understand truly what this sacrament shows us, what it signifies, what it means for us. We pray that You would mature those among us who are young, that You would strengthen and build them up. We pray that You would encourage also our visitors that they might enjoy the unifying and strengthening and nourishing sacrament. And Lord, we pray all of this knowing and rejoicing that You hear our prayer and that You will surely answer because we pray it in the name of Your beloved Son. Amen. In response, let's express together our intention of approaching the table of the Lord by faith looking always and only to Him whom it portrays. We'll sing together number 421, According to Thy Gracious Word. As we prepare to worship the Lord through our tithes and our offerings, let's ask for His blessing upon them. Father, we give now our offerings as a sign of our gratitude and of our faith in You who provide all that we need. We pray that You would receive these gifts as a token of our thanks and, and that You would use them 
to bring honor and glory to Your name. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Our offering song this morning is number 207, the rendering of a portion of Psalm 104, which so beautifully reminds us that that God is the one who gives all that we possess. We'll sing all the stanzas of 207. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.